jumping into, and we're still in the book of Exodus, message number 86, praise the Lord, and uh, we are rocking and rolling through it. We've got a little bit more to go on this, but remember, we've been working our way through the tabernacle. We have been in this Exodus study, which we call the Great Escape, which is what this whole thing has been talking about, but as we've been working our way through the tabernacle, we've been looking at several different areas. We first looked at the tabernacle proper, the building itself, the structure, and then we've actually gone into the furnishings of the tabernacle. So we looked at, first of all, the Ark of the Covenant. Then we looked at the candlestick, and then we're also going to look today, we looked at the table of showbread, and we're also going to look today at another piece of furniture. Now, with each one of those pieces of furniture, what was cool is we saw pictures of Christ in each one. And then the showbread table, we saw a picture of the Word of God, and then also in the candlestick, we also saw a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. But today, we're going to see something different in our message today, which is called a sweet-smelling savor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, this opportunity you've given us to gather in your house. And Lord, I do thank you for my brothers and sisters that have come to hear from you. And Lord, I have come to hear from you as well. Uh, Lord, my desire today is not to be seen or to be heard. Lord, I would love to just vanish that you would show up. But Lord, you've called me to do this. And I ask that you just empower me to give what you would have me to give. Lord, take the human element out of this message. Help me to disappear that you might appear. Lord, we want to hear, thus saith the Lord not anything for me. So, Lord, I do pray that you'll do a mighty work in our hearts to help us to be receptive to the truth, and, Lord, help us to be shaped and to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you'll notice that we only had four lines in our introduction because this message at one time was 17 pages long. I have whittled it down to 14 pages, but we have a lot to cover, so listen quick. Here we go. Exodus chapter number 37. We're going to be in verses 25 through 29. Verse 25 says this, And he made the incense altar of shittim wood, and the length of it was a cubit, and the breadth of it a cubit. And it was four square and two cubits with the height of it, and horns, the horns thereof were of the same. So this is yet another piece of furniture that we see. Now this, is, again, is made of shittim wood. This is just a, a hardwood that they had available at the time. And what we see here is in this picture of this, we saw it, the same wood is used to build the Ark of the Covenant. The same wood is used to build the table of showbread. We also saw it in the actual structure of the tabernacle itself. And each one of those we saw is a picture of humanity. It's a corruptible thing, something that came from the earth. And what it'll do is it'll rot and it'll return to the earth. It is a picture of humanity that we're seeing that same thing taught here. But what we're going to see here as we look in this Exodus chapter number 30. Now, Exodus 30 is where the instructions were given for all of these different parts and pieces. We're going to see here the incense altar. So the instructions, we're going to reference back and forth at different places, looking at God's instructions. And then what we're doing today is we're actually doing the building of it. They're actually constructing it. So we're going to see what they, what God they were told to make and then what they actually have made. So Exodus 30 verse 10 says this, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make upon, unto it a crown of gold round about. Now, the very verse that ties into that is going to be Exodus chapter number 37, verse 26. This is where it actually is fulfilled. He says, And he overlaid it with pure gold, both the top of it and the sides thereof round about, and the horns of it. Also he made unto it a crown of gold round about. So what is pictured here is we see the corruptible being encased or enclosed in gold. Okay. Now, in the past, what we've seen here is the fact that we saw that was a picture of Christ. We saw the human element of him coming as a person and at the same time being God. We saw that pictured in those. That's not what's pictured here in this altar of incense. That's not what's pictured. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49 says this, And as we have borne the image of the earthly, okay? When it says borne the image of the earthly, it's saying that you sing the human being, the corruptible flesh. That's the earthly. 
we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Notice the word also. So it says you're going to bear the human picture, but you're also going to bear another picture, the heavenly picture. Gold is a representation, a representation of deity. So the word is a rep, or the wood is a representation of corruptible man. The gold is a representation of deity. So we see the corruptible and the incorruptible here in verse 1549. Then you see here the altar. Again, we said this before it's pictured the, uh, the Lord, but today it's going to actually, it's picturing the child of God. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says this, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, human flesh, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So this scripture is saying, look, you are an immortal being. You are immortal as we speak. What happens? People think, well, I'm going to be immortal once I die and I get to heaven. Then I'm going to be like, now I'm immortal. No, you're already immortal today. It's already taken place. I want you to keep in mind when Jesus shows up, we're going to jump into John 11. And when we get over there, what you're going to find is the fact that Jesus is speaking to Martha about the resurrection of her brother, Lazarus, okay? What's interesting to note here, when you read this scripture, you're going to see that there's a pause that takes place. Jesus is told about the fact that Lazarus is very ill. Well, what happens? We see that he actually stops and just pauses. He waits. He doesn't show up right away. He waits, and he doesn't show up until four days later. He's been dead for four days. So what happens, and the reason why it's four days, God understands God's timing is always perfect. And what's really cool, if you ever read that and go, why is it four days? In the Hebrew culture, for three days... They would have a wake where they would wait on the body. That's where the idea of a wake came from. They used to lay the body out on the table and watch it while they would eat their meals. For three days, the belief was, and the Hebrew belief was that within three days, the soul would hang out around the body, and within three days, it might come in. But once you reach day number four, done. He's definitely dead. So how many days does Jesus wait to make sure to prove that this is a God thing? Four days. That's a side note. That's a different message. Anyway, we'll get into this a little further. So, we understand we're immortal beings. Listen to what he says here in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He is not just referencing Lazarus here. He's talking about the dead souls of men. You and I are born with a dead spirit. We are not born as children of God. We're born as creators or creation of God. But what happens is God comes into us and he draws, he creates life. He gives us a living spirit. We see that only through that, uh, the Bible in, in your King James Bible, it will say that you'll see the word quicken. Romans 8, 10, verses 10 and 11 show us this. And it says, and if, be, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He's saying, look, the saving power of God is going to give you an eternal life. At the moment of salvation, not at the moment of death, you and I are eternal. Look as he continues, he speaks to Martha. Also speaking to us, listen to this in verse 26 of John 11. And whosoever, whosoever, that's anybody, right? That's anybody on the earth. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He asked her. Now I know the answer for me. I believe it wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I know I'm never going to die. But the question is, how about you? What do you think? Are you a born-again child of God? Are you certain that, you have the child, that you're a child of God, that you have received Christ? If you don't know, today you'll get that chance. If you do know, 
If you do know, you say, look, I know I'm a child of God. I know I'm an eternal being. Well, how about if we start living like it? Right? So many people don't. So many people don't. Bottom line is we allow this world, this temporal world, to impact us. It affects our attitudes. It affects our actions. It affects everything about who we are. Our happiness and our contentment is, is, is based upon what the world around us is doing. Not based upon the fact of who we are. Not based upon the fact that I'm already an immortal being. I live in fear. I live in doubt. I live in all these things and allowing the world to control me. Yet I'm, the, I'm a child of the king. Right? The God of the universe. The almighty God. Knows my name. Saved my soul. Changed my life. And if he's done that for you, man, praise the Lord. But what we have is we have tons and tons of people that go around moping. They're supposedly Christians. <sighs> How's your day? Ugh. Another day. Man. Stinks. Complain, complain, mope, complain, complain, complain. Hello? This is not where we live. This is a temporal place that we are for a short period of time. God did not save you to find happiness in this place. This is not where we find satisfaction. This is where we are sustained. God sustains us because he has a mission for us to do. If we think it's about us, because we do, we're selfish by nature. All of us are. And because we're selfish, we think this is all about us. And what you've got to realize, the, more you, the quicker you can learn that this is not about you, the sooner you can start to find satisfaction in God. Not in this place, but in the place to come. Remember, heavenly places, our eyes are set upon things above. Our heart has to be placed there. We have to remember who we are. But way more important, whose we are. God knows your name and he loves you right where you are. Even in the darkest, deepest, most broken part of your life. It's in the pits. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. He says it doesn't matter where you go. And then we have our issues, our cares. Well, guess what? God's already told us what to do with them. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, there's an important word in there. Cast. Cast, right? So I'll give you an example. If I had this Bible and I cast it to Eric, is that this? No. Cast is this. I had to let it go, right? And so many people go, I, I, I gave it to God. But they wake up the next morning and what do they do? Vroom. Oh, oh, I'm going to bear this burden. Oh, cast your care upon me. Okay, Lord, yeah, I will, I will, yeah. Yeah, I'll bring it to the altar even. Yeah, yeah, I got to go to my car. Okay, yep, yeah, I'm going back out. I'm going to get my care. No, when you cast your care, you let it go. That means the next morning when I wake up, I'm not going, oh, man. I'm going, oh, that's not my care anymore. <laughs> cast upon, casting your care upon him before he cares for me. So he'll take it for me. He says he'll bear my burden for me. Yet we live our lives like we're constantly carrying around burdens through life. This is not why we're here. What does that do? It makes it about us. And God says, well, you're casting your care and you're carrying these things on your back. Guess what? Lost people are dying and going to hell right in front of your eyes and you're so focused on yourself because you're worried about your cares that you can't even see them. You're consuming yourself. And he says, this isn't about you. We're supposed to have servants' hearts, man. We're supposed to be here for the love of people. We're supposed to reach this planet. And we cannot do it carrying around the burdens of this world. Listen to this, guys. We are immortal beings and we have to start living like it. Living like who we really are. Bottom line is, we're more than conquerors. We're conquerors right now. We live like life has conquered us. 
We look at the politics of what's going on. We look at what's going on in our society, and we're conquered by it. We're devastated by it. We're weighed down by it. But yet, listen to this in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What shall we then say to these things, these things, these cares of the world? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen to that. He that spared not his son, not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who, who also maketh intercession for us. Guys, he's fighting for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or politics? Nope. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. He says, look, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to come into your life. And he says, and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. You're going to face opposition. This world is going to try to knock you on your tail. It's going to do everything it can to discourage you. Because understand, if you are trying to live for the Lord, you are a threat to the kingdom of evil. If you're not living for God, he don't really care. You know what? It's not, you're not really an issue. But I'm telling you what. If you're actively trying to take steps, if you're in discipleship right now, you're in your Bible right now, you're praying right now, you've got a target on your back. And he's going to do all that he can to try to stop you. But remember what it did say up there? If God be for us, who can be against us? Praise the Lord. Verse 3 7. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not conquered conquerors, not in our strength, but in God's strength. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Do you hear that? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, man. Our strength is in Him. It's not in us. And what's so cool? Yeah, we're immortal. But from God's perspective, we're already with Him. He already sees us. Check this out. Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guys, time does not function for God the way that it does for us. Right? We live past, present, future. We live in the moment. We're just living the present. God is fully present in the past, in the present, and in the future simultaneously. All at the same time. Revelations 1.8. As Jesus is talking, and this is at his return, he says this, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is present, which was past, and which is to come. Amen. The Almighty. And guess what? He already sees us seated in heavenly places. How cool is that? God is so good. I just love it. Anyway, so this is, he's speaking to us present tense. But again, we see this wood coated in gold. This is a picture of the redeemed child of God. Verse 27 of our text. And he made two rings of gold for it under the crown thereof by the two corners of it upon the two sides thereof to be places for the staves to bear it withal. I have a picture to show you kind of what it looks like. This could be it. I don't know. This is a representation. It's going to look something like that. They got the size right. But these are the rings that we're talking about right here. And those rings are where they're going to slide the the poles, the staves into it so that they can bear the weight of this thing. So as we look at this, understand that the rings, again, they're a picture. 
They're a picture. The rings are actually a picture of eternity. They're an ever-ending loop. It's on the four corners representing the fact that God is God over the entire world. And what's also interesting is the fact that those rings, the reason why those staves are going to be slid in there is because everywhere this thing is moved, it's got to be moved by staves. It's got to be moved by sticks. They're not allowed to touch it. No one's supposed to touch this thing. Because remember that the tabernacle is a big portable, it's like a mobile home basically is what it is. It's a big tent and they're going to break it down, fold it all up, break it into different parts, and these guys are going to carry it from place to place. And what's interesting is this Actual temple is not going to be finished until we get to the book of Exodus chapter number 40. That's when you'll finally see it all assembled and done. That is 1445 B.C., okay? So there's the temporary one. There will be a permanent one built by King Solomon. That's not going to happen until 959 B.C. I remember time works differently for God. That's 486 years between the time they get the temple built until they finally build the finished one. You realize the United States is only 244 years old? It's basically double the age of the U.S. But remember, time is different for God than it is for us. For us, it seems like a long time. For God, it's like, no big deal. So, verse 28. And he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold. So these poles of wood, these are the ones that are going to bear the weight. Again, it's a picture of corruption and God tied together. Every piece of furniture is going to be moved by staves again because they could not be touched. And what's really interesting, we're going to go to Numbers chapter number 4. If you go to Numbers 4, we're going to be in verse 15 through 20. And what's cool is we're going to get some more details about kind of the way this thing's moved around. It helps us learn. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is, um, is to set forward. So what's happening? He's saying, look, when you're getting ready to go to another location, we're going to pack it all up. Everything's going to be ready. After that, after it's all packed up and ready, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. So these priests, these are priests. They're not allowed to touch it. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. So of the children of God, children of Aaron, the Kohathites are set aside for a specific purpose to move these parts. And to the office of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest pertaineth the oil for the light and the sweet incense and the daily meat offerings and anointing oil and the oversight of the tabernacle and of all that therein is in the sanctuary and in the vessels thereof. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. He said, look, they're important. I need them. But thus do unto them that they may live and not die. When they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them, every one to his service and to his burden. So what it says here is like basically Aaron and those guys, they're going to be in there. His, his, the, 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 the priests are going to be in there and they're going to say, look, when you come in, you pick that up. You get that. You guys get over here. They're going to tell them what to do. But it's all going to be already prepped and ready. It's all going to be covered already. All they're going to do is lift it by the staves and carry it out. Verse 20. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. So these Kohathites, these descendants of Kohath, their only responsibility is to carry the weight, the instruments of the tabernacle. And these guys, remember, they're priests. But they have a very specific job. They're, they're not allowed to see it. They're not allowed to touch it. There were priests that could see it. There were those that could, teach it, could touch it, but they could not. So what we find here is their job was no less important than anybody else's. Because let's say that everybody else did their job, but they didn't do theirs. Well, those parts would be left behind. They would not arrive. And what happens in our world is we kind of evaluate what's important and what's not. Right? Some of us, if we were Kohathites, we might be like, dude, we're just labor. All we do is carry the stuff. They go in, they get to do all the cool stuff and polish it all up and do the bread and the incense and stuff like that. And we're stuck outside and they're like, they're in there doing all the cool stuff. When it's all wrapped up and everything's done, they're like, all right, come in and get the weight. And you're like, oh, great. 
come on, fellas. Right? And we might have that attitude, right? Because we all go, well, there's certain jobs that are way cooler than other jobs. They go, I'm not the preacher. I don't teach. You know, I I take up the chairs. That's, That's a terrible job. I take up the trash. I clean the toilets, man. Ugh. Understand, God doesn't see it that way. There are jobs that are more important than other jobs. God looks at the heart of a person. It is not about what you do. Because if I do what I do and I'm filled with pride, guess what? To God, wood, hand, stubble, it doesn't mean a thing. You take out the trash and you're doing it for God's glory, He's pleased with you and He's angry with me. It's not about the job, it's about the heart. Amen. And there was a time in my life, guys, where I served God for me. I worked for 14 years at one church, man, and I did it. That's so much of it I did for me. I thought I was doing it for God, but I was filled with selfishness. I was filled with pride. And I did what I did because I wanted to receive the accolades of men. I wanted somebody to come in and go, good job. I wanted to be seen as someone who was godly, not because I was trying to do it for him. I thought I was, but because of my pride, I was blind. And pride blinds us all. We sit and we think we got, oh, you know what? I'm so godly. I'm so this. I'm so that. And while I'm so busy patting myself on the back, I'm walking away from God while I think I'm serving him. I was in the church on staff working, doing ministry things. And I was filled with frustration because the pastor wouldn't recognize what I was doing. And some of you guys know this story already. And there was a day when I was walking through the parking lot. And I was there early. And nobody else was there. And I remember when I was picking up trash, walking through the parking lot by myself. And I was like, I wish his car would roll in. I wish his car would roll and he would see this and you know what, man, thanks for coming here early. And as I'm sitting there thinking that with bitterness in my heart that I've been carrying for months, God speaks to my heart, man. It's clear, not not in an audible voice, but as clear as he told me to plant this church. He said, why are you doing what you do? Who are you doing it for? If it's for you, quit. If it's for me, shut up and do it. I was like, wow. Man, good point, Lord. And guess what? I was set free. (laughs) And when I came, I didn't care if anybody was there or not, because I was like, Lord, you know what? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And I tell you that because there's a verse in here. It's a Colossians 3, man. It spoke to my heart, and it came to me as clear as a bell as I'm walking through the parking lot. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Can you get more clear than that? Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, David. Remember who you serve. Why are you doing what you do? What is your purpose? So what's important to remember is not only who we serve, but why we serve as well. Because guess what? Out of this idea of service, If you just do some searches online, you can go on your Bible, your Bible app, and you type in servant of God. Well, that phrase in your King James Bible shows up 101 times. Servant of of God. Servant of the Lord shows up 196 times. Servant of Christ, 12 times. That's 309 different times. God specifically says, you're serve God, serve God, serve God. And if you take all of the ones that are just, that are, that are pointing to that, there's literally thousands of times God talks about serving him. Guess how many verses you can find about serving yourself? Not a one, right? Goose egg, burnt, zero, none. In fact, the Wednesday night study, what have we been doing about how to be a follower? What's it about? Denying ourselves. It's about not serving ourselves because guess what? We live in a culture and what does it say? It's all about me. If it feels good, do it. 
If you want to see it, go. You want to see it? Everything's about us, 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 us. And God says, no, 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 no. You're not here for you. This isn't about you becoming a super Christian. This is about you being a vessel fit for the master's use that God can use you to impact the world. Get it off of you. Get it off of you. And we've got to shift our view off of ourselves, looking at ourselves constantly thinking about us and shift it onto the fact that, you know what? If it was just about us and God just wanted to be intimate with us, as I told you last week, he would kill you when he saved you. There's intimacy. You're in heaven with God. But what he does, he leaves us here to face all the challenges to see if we'll do what we're actually called to do, which is reach the world. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says this, And everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Think about this. He's saying, look, in everything, give thanks. So it means when we serve, we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it with the right heart. We do it with a heart of thanks. I'm thankful that I get to do what I get to do. Hey, if I've got, if they, if the, you know, if, if they need to pick up the chairs, man, I'll do it. And I'm thankful to do it because you know what? It's not for me. It's for God's glory. No matter what our capacity, we need to be thankful. And these Kohathites, what they're going to do when they deliver this stuff, they're going to set this altar that we're talking about. They're going to set it just outside the veil. Exodus 30 verse 6 tells us this. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with thee. So the incense altar is as close as you can get. Right? So we have, here's the, here's the Holy of Holies. There's the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the veil that separates. No one's going in there except for the, 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 the high priest one, type, one day a year. That's the closest you can get. There's the intimacy with God. But just outside the veil, here's the incense altar. It's as close as you can get. And there's a picture in this altar that is absolutely awesome. Okay, verse 29 in our text. It says, And he made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices to the work of the apothecary. Apothecary is kind of like a modern-day pharmacist, basically, putting things together, mixing stuff up. So how the sacred incense was made, it was going to actually be made out of a lot of different components. We're going to find those components. If you're in your Bible, it's Exodus chapter number 30, verses 34 through 36. What we're going to do is we're actually going to look at the recipe for God's incense here. He tells us exactly how to make it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices. Now he names them for us. I'm guessing this is, I don't know how you say this, Stacta. We're just going to go with that. Stack, whatever. S-T-A-C-T. Um, it's a tree resin. I looked it up. Uh, and then there's something called Onicha. Onicha is actually a shellfish from the Red Sea, which is somewhere they had been. And there's something called Galbanum. Galbanum is very similar to like parsley. Okay. These, it says sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight. So he says you're supposed to take equal amounts of these different things and you're going to combine them. Verse 35, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. Don't add anything else to it. Don't make any additions. Just what I told you to do, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put of it every, before, the, before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. Notice that this is a very specific recipe. God tells him exactly the way it's supposed to be done, according to his will, according to God's will. Okay. So the sweet smelling smoke is going to fill the holy place. But what's really cool because of the fact that the tabernacle proper, basically only separating the holy place and the most holy is just this veil. So when the smoke goes up, it's actually going to go into both. So the entire chamber, the entire area, the dwelling place of God is going to be filled with the sweet smelling smoke, this savor of God. And what's really neat is God's going to tell us what this smoke actually represents. There's a beautiful picture in the smoke, which is, oh, get ready. Awesome. Here we go. Psalm 141 verses one and two. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. 
Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. So David's crying out to God. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we see here prayer referenced as incense. Then Revelation 5.8. It says, when he had taken the the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lord, before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. Okay, these are odors; these are smells, which are the prayers of saints. That's us. So we see here that the prayers are listed as odors, sweet smells. Then we go to Revelation eight, verses three through four. Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Do you see that? What Everything you see in heaven is pictured. This tabernacle is a copy or a duplicate of what is in heaven. So the same altar we see in ours, tabernacle here on earth, there's one in heaven represented as well. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So the smoke literally is a picture of the, of the prayers of God's people rising up to the nostrils of God, man. It's so cool, all these things. Remember, this is all picturing for us. The Old Testament is a picture book for us. All the things that we see that were physical, that were real, we go back and read about them, and it's a physical picture of what really exists. It's a physical picture of the Old Testament is showing us an image of something that we're going to learn in the New Testament. It's always working together. There was a preacher that said we need to unhook ourselves from the Old Testament. That is the most ignorant and stupid thing you could possibly say because the Old Testament is there to enrich the New Testament. The two work in perfect conjunction together. 1 John. No, actually, we're going to be in uh, Hebrews. No, we're going to be in, in, yeah, Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 1, 2, and then verse 5. When I say this, this is a picture. So the, the earthly tabernacle is a picture of the one in heaven. Here's where we get the proof of that. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a ministry of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, okay, the one in heaven, which the Lord pitched, the one God created, and not man, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. It's a picture, a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. He said, make your tabernacle to match the one that already exists in heaven. Very, very key component. So in this passage, we see here this smoke that's rising up inside of the earthly tabernacle is picturing the nostrils of God receiving the prayers of his people. Sweet smelling savor according to his will. Remember, it's his recipe, not our recipe. Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 13 about our prayers. Then shall ye call upon him, and ye shall go and pray unto him, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. When you and I as believers fervently pray to God, the most wonderful thing is that is he hears our prayers. It doesn't fall upon deaf ears. When you cry out in desperation, God's listening. He's not distracted. He's not on YouTube. You know, he's focused. He's paying attention, and he's listening fervently fervently. Listen to this. 1 John 5, 14-15. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, according to His recipe, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Now, <laughs> I may not always get the answer that I want, right? 
Sometimes prayers don't go the way that we think that they should. We have a preconceived notion. It should happen this way, right? But isn't that our recipe? Yeah. Yep. We have it according to our will. Back in Exodus 30, we're going to look at a couple things here in verses 7 through 9 about this altar. Exodus 30, verse 7 says this, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. So when he goes in in the morning, the crack of dawn, Aaron goes walking in, he's going to take care of the lamps, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to go tend those incense to make sure that everything's fresh and everything is burning. So fresh incense in the morning. Okay? Verse number 8, And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, at the evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So it's saying, look, so what happens when this thing's all set up, there should be 24 hours of this incense going all the time. This is a picture of our 24-hour 24 24 hour access to the Lord, showing no matter what time of day, you wake up at 312 in the morning and your heart is burdened and you cry out to God, you have access. No matter when you need him, he's available. And what's also really, really cool in this and I taught on this before about a year ago. One of the things that's interesting is you notice that, that he does it in the morning and then he does it in the evening. So he starts his day in prayer for us and he closes his day in prayer. And this is something that I taught. And back then, I challenged you guys in a message. And I said, look, I, get, I said, for the next seven days, I'm going to challenge you every morning when you wake up, start your day in prayer. And when you close your day out, close it in prayer for the next seven days and see if your walk with God is not better than it was before you started. Now, my wife and I, because understand, when I'm preaching the messages, I'm not here to, to be the preacher and, dude, I'm, this is for me too. I'm just here as a participant. I'm just having to talk. But bottom line is the authority all comes from here. So when I heard that message and preached that message, my wife and I started that Sunday. We started praying in the morning and every single day, I don't think we missed a day for over a year. That's our, that's, we wake up every, as soon as we wake up, you want to pray first? I'll pray. Okay. And we, just, and we just lay there in bed and we pray. And when we lay down in bed at night, we just pour our hearts out to God. And we pray for you guys. And we pray for ourselves and we thank God for all that he's done for us. But you know what we also do? God, I'm sorry I failed you here. I should have done better here. Lord, let me learn from today. Help me do better tomorrow. Help me, Lord, to be better for you. What if every morning and every night you started in prayer? And I don't mean, you know, oh, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, I want a soul to keep, da-da. No, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about you just talk to God. Because guess what? He wants the intimacy with you. His heart is ready to hear from us if we'll just speak to him. 24-hour access. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I know this message is loaded and there's a lot of good stuff in this thing, but just take what you can from today. Pray without ceasing. What that's saying is, you know what? If I'm walking with God, I've got a constant connection with him. We're connected, right? If Seti and I have a relationship, when he and I had lunch this past week and we sat and talked, he's starting discipleship, praise the Lord. He got saved, what, last week? Pray, two weeks ago. Praise the Lord. But let's say that when we meet and let's say, I said, hey, Seti, how's it going, man? Dude, give me some. What's up, buddy? David Goodson, Pastor Hope Baptist Church. How, how's your day? It's, it's going. It's going. Cool. Yeah, it's a little rough right now. Yeah. Oh, by the way, David Goodson, Harbor Baptist, Hope Baptist Church pastor. My day was pretty good. Uh, anything exciting happen? I came to church. Amen. You know, I had a great week as well. David Goodson, Harbor Baptist Church. Our Hope Baptist Church, good to see you. What if every time I met him, I had to go through a formal introduction? 
That would be ridiculous. But how many of us pray like that? Dear Lord, I'm going to start. Like we're establishing a connection with him every time like we don't have with him. But once we meet each other, I don't need to do that anymore. That's silly. But yet we pray that way. He's saying, always pray without ceasing. That means that once I've got, got a relationship with God, as long as you're walking with him, there's not a break. God doesn't break his connection with us. Who breaks it? Us. Now, if you're one of those people, and you know what? You've allowed there to be a break. Because sin, insincerity, laziness, whatever it is, you just don't have a relationship with God. You just don't pray to God. Well, it's not that He broke it, but you have. And if it's broken, man, restore it. He's ready, willing, and able to restore you just like this, man. He's waiting on us. He wants to hear our hearts. He wants us to connect with Him. We as believers have an eternal relationship with our Creator. Even though we might have interrupted that, we can restore it. Verse 9 says this of Exodus 30. Ye shall offer no strange incense. This is important. No strange incense thereupon, nor burnt sacrifices, nor meat offerings, neither shall ye pour drink offerings thereon. He says, look, this thing has one purpose and one purpose only. It is for these incense. I don't want anything else going upon it, and I certainly don't want any strange incense, okay? So I don't want something based upon a recipe that you come up with. Man, this one smells really good, Lord. I mean, this is good. I want to bring it and burn it on the altar. Nah, nah, I gave you the recipe. You do it according to my will. If we compare that to prayer, right? There's no provision for prayers according to my will. No, it's according to his will. Picturing our prayers, sincere prayers. I don't care if it's, you know, we're laying it out there, man. But it's based upon a selfish desire. It's not going to be received of the Lord. God wants our hearts, man. He knows our hearts, understand. But at the same time, he wants to hear our hearts. Because guess what prayer does? Is it aligns, it aligns our hearts with God's. All of a sudden, I learn to hate what he hates. And I learn to love what he loves. So if we have the same heart and the same mind, don't you think I'm going to pray according to his will? But if I don't, I'm going to pray according to my will and what I want. And what we do is we treat God like a 24-hour delivery service or a helpline. Lord, you know what? Things are going bad. I need you right now. Can you come down and fix this? Helpline. You know what, Lord? I really would like for this to happen. Could you, take, could you take care of that for me? Would God love to take care of our needs? Yes, absolutely. Does God want to be there when we need him? Absolutely. The problem is that we don't do things according to his will. We do them according to our own because we're selfish. We're filled with self. John 14, 12 through 15 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus. He that believeth on me, people of faith, that's us. The works that I do, he, do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He says, look, I'm going to empower you to do the most miraculous things in the world through prayer. Look at this. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Wow, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that I will do. A lot of us like to stop right there. Man, God's going to do what I ask. This is awesome. Why? Do you see the next part? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we want glory for ourselves. He says, no, I'll answer the prayer for God's glory, for my glory, not for yours. Verse 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do it according to my will. So that means if we're praying not according to God's will, are we praying wrong? Yes. You can pray wrong. Absolutely. Let's look at it. James 4, verses 1 through 3. 
From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? Guys, they're right now. Christians that are battling online, warring over politics, warring over social justice, warring over all kinds of issues. Are they important issues? Sure. But is it what we're supposed to spend our time doing? If I win the argument and they still go to hell, who cares? In the end, this is not about our life. Everything ultimately is up to God. My job is to be an ambassador to this hurting world. We're supposed to make a difference here. Verse 2, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and, dest- and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. He said, well, some of you, you're dealing with all these struggles and stuff like that, and you don't even take the time to pray. You just think you're going to handle it all, and you're going to do it in your flesh. Then verse 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. Amiss means you're, you're wrong. That ye may consume it upon your lusts. So when you do pray... You're praying for your own selfish reasons. You don't even pray with the right heart. Consider this, guys. If God just answered every prayer and just did what we want, that's like having children. They go, you know what? Mommy, I want to play with a knife. Okay, sweetheart. Here you go. Have fun with that. Good parent or bad parent? Bad parent, right? Because you know the result. Don't hand that child a butcher knife. That's not a good idea. They're four, right? God knows sometimes you and I are asking for a butcher knife, and God's going, no, 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 no. This is a bad idea. And you know what? I'm not answering that prayer. That is love. Then James 4, 4 says this. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. This is talking about spiritual, uh, spiritual adultery, not talking about physical. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, is opposition. Whosoever there, therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So because God loves us, he'll answer our prayers according to what's best for us. And that's where faith comes in. I may not get the answer that I want. There are three answers to prayer. There's yes, there's no, and there's wait. Yes, very easy to receive. Awesome. No, not as much fun, but fairly easy to receive. Wait, oh, wait is horrible. Anybody else else hate the wait one? Oh my goodness gracious. But see, if you go to the book of Romans and you look at chapter number five, it says tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, experience, hope. So God says tribulation is going to come in your life, and hope will be the eventual outcome. But what happens in the very I need you to be patient in the beginning. And we're like, really? Okay. Right? Because we have an agenda, and many times we're praying according to our will, not praying according to God's will. The closer you walk with God, the more you will pray according to God's will. Then here in verse number 10, it says here, verse 10, this is Exodus 30 in the instructions, the end of the instructions here. It says, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So the beautiful symbol that we hear, this picture of prayer, is reverenced as most holy. That's the second time we've seen in the instructions it's called most holy. God's given us this amazing, amazing gift of prayer. And in our Christian lives, we take it for granted. We don't reverence it. We don't honor it. We don't use it. We use it selfishly. We don't have the idea or understand the fact that when you live for the Lord, when you get your heart right and you get your heart aligned with God, your prayer life will become so powerful that the things that you think are impossible on this earth become easily possible. And you see the power of God come down on this planet and do things that just don't seem possible. Sometimes it's the heart of a person that you may know. And you hear people say, it's like, you know what? Ain't no reason that guy. 
He, he, he's the hardest person I've ever met. Guys, I've served in ministry with men that were listed as those people. The guy that's going to come next week was one of those people. Came out of a home that was filled with drugs and destruction. Not only did he get saved, he reached his brother. He reached his mom. His brother's in ministry with him now. His brother got out of prison and got saved after that. He was there for drugs, man. I'm telling you, I'm talking about things that look impossible from the world's perspective. We go, that's not possible. And you see what God does, and you're like, holy moly. What a testament. And when you meet Lee next week, man. It's awesome. But we see this beautiful gift that God's given us, and we treat it so poorly. And I'm going to share with you, we talked about this the last time we went through this, talking about the altar. We're going to share with you about Uzziah. And uh, guys, Uzziah, boy, this is from 2 Chronicles, chapter number 26. And Uzziah is, is an amazing story. Because Uzziah took the throne when he was 16 years old. 16 years old he became king. And you know what he did? He killed it. He killed it, man. He got in, his eyes were on the Lord. He was motivated by trying to give God glory. He worked and served. He, literally, he was a really inventive guy. He came up with all these kind of new types of war machines and all this prosperity and security. So the kingdom flourished under him. It just did incredible. And then what happened over a period of time is Uzziah kind of took his eyes off of God. And instead of giving God glory, he started <clears throat> receiving a little glory for himself and thinking more highly of himself. And over time, he started going, you know what? I really am. I'm like, you know, I'm almost like, like a little mini God almost. I mean, look at how much I, that God's done through me. But I mean, really, it's because it's who I am. I mean, for goodness sakes, have you seen, have you seen me? For goodness sake, have you seen me? All right, this is the attitude. So then it reaches, eventually he reaches the point point. he goes, you know what? I know down at the temple, they go and they burn incense at the altar. And you know what? Priests set aside to do that. I'm the king, for goodness sakes. I'm going to go down and burn them myself. I don't need priests anymore because God loves me that much and I'm that important to him. I'm going to head on down to the temple and take care of it on my own. We'll pick up here, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, listen to this, he was strong. Not strong because of God. He was strong. This is his heart. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He's not called to do this. This is sanctified for only the priest. And Azariah, this is a brave guy right here. Azariah the priest went in after him. So here goes. The Uzziah walks in, and here comes Azariah. Whoa, king, stop! And he says, and with him, fourscore priests, 80 priests run in there with him. Woo, all these guys are going, dude, this is your forfeit in your life. That they were valiant. says, look at this, valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king. Means they got between him and the altar. They're like, whoa, king, no. Uzziah, don't do this. Don't do this. He says, says, it appertaineth not unto thee. He says, look, this is not your place, king. This is not what you're to do. Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron. He says, this is our job, that are consecrated to burn incense. Then next, what do they say? Go out of the sanctuary. Look, you're not supposed to even be in here. For thou hast trespassed. This is their king, guys. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. He says, this is not going to go well for you. Listen to our warning. Don't do this, king. Do you not realize? You've gotten so full of yourself. Listen. Listen to verse 13 or verse, verse 19. Then Uzziah was wroth, angry. I have counsel with people that have come to me and asked for advice. 
They got things going on in their life. And you go, okay, let me tell you what I think God would have you to do. Let's talk about what the scripture would have you to do. And you know how they receive it? You know what? I don't know why I even came to you in the first place. I don't need to hear all the things that I'm doing wrong. I'm just asking you, how do I make things better? Well, I'm telling you, you have to address your sin. I don't, whatever, I'm done. How do we receive godly counsel? Guys, we've got to have ears willing to hear. We've got to be willing to come soft and humble to people. I have received some very, very hard criticism in my life. And it's sometimes hard to swallow, but it's what I needed to hear. Humble hearts serve the Lord. Prideful hearts serve self. God needs humble hearts. So Uriah, it says, Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. He said, look, man, I'm here. While he was wroth with the priest, while he's raging, get out of the way, I'm coming through. While he's doing that, ready to go. The leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests and the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. They're blocking the altar. It's right behind them. That means they have the, the veil's right here. They stand beside that huge veil. They're blocking the altar, and they're going, no king. And as he's yelling and screaming, all of a sudden, leprosy breaks out across his forehead. Oh, boy. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. You are unclean, king. You are unclean. God is dealing with you. Got to get out of here. Get out. He says, yea, himself hasted also to go. He felt it, man, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. And it says, and he dwelt in a several house. A several house means he was quarantined. He was set apart from the, from the, from the castle, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. He had a function as a king because his dad was isolated. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet and son of Amos write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. So the odor that Uzziah was going to take in there was of his own making. He had his own incense. He went in there fueled by pride, a strange incense, and the Bible says it was not for that. It was unacceptable. It was fueled by pride, arrogance, lust, and desire. James 4 said, James 4, 3 said, you ask amiss. You ask amiss because you want to serve it. You want to do it. It's of your own lust. And God didn't receive Uzziah. He rejected him. Right? He rejected him. And at his death, what did they say about Uzziah? Man, he was on fire for the Lord when he got started. Let me tell you, that guy, he was so inventive, so creative. The security of the kingdom was unbelievable. No, they said one thing. He was, he is a leper. That's all he left behind. He is a leper. The smell of his incense was a stench of death. And I don't know about you guys. I've been to Uzziah plenty of times. I've prayed like that with pride and selfishness. I guarantee you there's been plenty of times that I've prayed and God's been like, Psh, what is that? I'm not receiving that. That's the problem is the fact that we're so filled with ourselves. And what happens is not only does God not receive it, but it affects our relationship with him. Because here we are standing in opposition. He says, play according to my will. And we say, I'll pray according to my own will. And what is remarkable 
And only, only human beings could do this. And so we'll pray according to our will, strange incense to God, and he won't answer it. And instead of recognizing the failure that we have, we want to blame him. Right? And what do we shift into? Like spoiled children. <laughs> Fine. It's just not fair. God won't answer my prayer. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> right? Or, or, I guess y'all all smile. I guess you've experienced this at some point in time with some child. Right? Or it's, we switch into the, the mode of like, you know, we're the victim. Why? Why do bad things have to happen to good people? Why does it always happen to me? Why do I have to suffer? It's just not fair. Right? Yeah. Or we get angry. You know what? Yeah, I tried God. I prayed, and it didn't work. And you know what? I'm done with him. Yeah. Forget it. If he's not going to answer my prayer, then I'm done. Amazing. And that's the way people treat God. And he says, look, pray according to my will, and we pray according to his will, and then we want to blame him for it. Amazing. But what's so amazing, in fact, also is this. As children, as they grow, us parents, thank God, over time, they start to see things differently. And over time, when one, once life has kicked them in the face a few times, once they found themselves on their knees going, oh, I thought I had all the answers when I was 16, but it turns out I didn't. When they come to the realization, they go, man, my mom and dad were a lot smarter than I thought they were. Oh, they had a lot more wisdom than I thought. And some of the things they told me not to do, I really shouldn't have done them, but it really helped me out if I hadn't done it. And just like them, guess what? As children of God, we start to look at our life and we start to recognize, you know what? Maybe God knows better. Maybe I should have done it his way instead of my way. Unfortunately for most of us, it takes a hard road of a lot of very difficult decisions and the circumstances to deal with it in order to learn those lessons. But in our prayer life, would we call ourselves spiritual children, right? Are we spiritual children? Do we demand what we want? God, I want this. God, I want that. I want it now. I want it this way. I want it to be delivered just like that. Or are we spiritually mature? Do we pray according to God's will with trust and faith and patience, willing to wait on him, right? There's choices to make. And if we earnestly, whew, if we earnestly sought our heart or checked our hearts today and we looked at our prayer life and you thought about how they were formulated, how, what's the recipe that I have? Would my recipe be filled with wants and desires, things that I want out of this life? things that I want to achieve, the things that are going to infect me? Or would I start praying according to what God wants? Would I pray, consider this. We think about the fact that, you know, when somebody hurts and wrongs us, and we pray for God to strike them dead, right? God, could you just end their life or make it really, really miserable? Make them pay some way. Could you just handle that for me? Could you just blow them up? I think a lightning bolt would be perfect. I would love to see a crater right where they were standing. That'd be awesome, right? We think that way. But what would God have us to pray? God, would you reach their heart? Lord, would you change their heart? Would you reach them in the broken condition? The reason why hurting people, why hurt people hurt people is because they're hurting themselves. And for this person to do this to me, there has to be something inside that's really broken. And God, would you reach out to them? Would you change them? God, may I pray for you to bless their family? Could I pray for you to reach their heart? And not only, Lord, to just to save them, but Lord, help them to become one day my friend. Help me to care for them more than I care about myself. That's praying according to God's will. That's the kind of stuff God answers, right? It's so simple, yet so very, very hard. So if we think about the formulation of our prayers, would they have the stench of death like Uzziah's? Or would they smell sweet 
as they waft up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling savor. Simple concept to, 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 uh, to apply right here. The closer you walk with God, the more closely you will pray according to his will. The farther you walk from God, the more you will serve and pray in your own will. It's a simple, simple thing. You and I every day are being drawn and pulled. There are temptations placed before us. Temptations for sin, perhaps, or just temptations to react. Something happens to us, and in our flesh, we react. How many of us have ever reacted in our flesh and had regrets immediately afterwards? Tons of us, right? It's so easy to do. But let me tell you, start your day in prayer. God, as these things come against me, help me to see them for what they are. Help my heart to be ready. Help me to be an emissary of Christ today. Help me to be patient. Help me to be understanding. Help me to be loving. Help fear not to control my life. Help me not to be filled with rage or anger. God, help me today to go out as an emissary. As a, as a, if they think about the battlefield of life, and as these people are wounded out here, instead of me hucking grenades on them, what if I go run out as a, as a, as a corpsman and I try to save their life and drag them back? What if I try to reach this world? God, make that my mission today. Not about me and my survival, but about their survival. God, I'm already eternal. I'm all set. But God, they're not. Help me, Lord, to have that kind of heart. If we'll do that, man, God will bless our walk. And he'll use our life for so much more than what we think it's about. You can waste your time and energy trying to fulfill yourself in selfish prayers that won't get answered and be full of frustration and anger. Or you can say, you know what? Not my will. Thine be done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and God giving us, Lord, a powerful message for me. I have failed you so many times. And I'm sorry. Lord, I know that you've spoken to me. If no one else got anything out of this message today, you have preached my ears off. And uh, Lord, I pray that you just help us to be sensitive to your will and your your desire, not ours. And God, as we come before your throne through the access of your Son, I pray, God, that you help us, Lord, to pray according to your beautiful and perfect will. Help us to love this world, not be angry at it, not to, to complain about it, but, Lord, realize that we're here for a purpose. And the darker it becomes, the more impact light can have. Help us to shine into the darkness. Use us, Father, for your glory with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I don't know where I stand with God. I feel what you're talking about. I know you're dealing with my heart. Some of you, it's dealing with your heart because you're already a child of God. You know you're a child of God and you know God's calling you to do more. Praise the Lord. But there may be some of you. Someone out there online, wherever it is, someone's watching this recorded, I don't know. And that person, you say, you know what? Right now, I don't know that I'm a child of God. Guys, 19 years ago, somebody asked me a question. They said, if God forbid, if this is your last day on earth, if this was it, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And I searched my heart and I said, I truly don't know. I've tried to be a good person. I'm not a murderer or a thief, but I don't know. And the good news is that God loved me in though, even though I was undeserving. And right now, wherever you are, God is calling out to you. With love in his heart and he wants to restore what was broken sin separates us from God and he wants to not only forgive us of our sin but he wants to restore us back to him he wants a relationship with you right where you are 
and he's willing to receive you. He's willing to forgive you. If you hear him calling your heart and you know in your heart you need to receive him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And understand, it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's not words. It's your heart. Again, it's not what we do. It's our heart. God listens to our heart. So as you're in your seat right now, wherever you are, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you know for sure in your heart. You say, look, right now, if I died, I do not know. Today, you can know. And as I'm going to lead you in prayer, it will not be the words of the prayer. that are. It's no magic in the prayer. It's not about that. It's not about me. This is you and God. And if you'll pray it and you're sincere, He will save you right where you sit. And this will be an eternity. Your eternity will start today. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I know and believe that you love me. And that you died to pay the price that I could not pay. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart. To save my soul forgive me my sins and give me a home in heaven. Lord, by faith, I receive you and I thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you made that decision today, you prayed earnestly today and you were sincere, understand if you just said a prayer, you're still lost. It's not about the words. It's about the heart. But if in your heart of hearts you knew and you meant business with God, praise the Lord, you are now a child of the King. If you prayed that prayer today in recognition of what you've done so that I can pray for you, I'm not going to call you out or say anything to you, but if so, I can know to pray for you. If you raise your hand, just say, look, you know what? I prayed that prayer today. Amen. Amen. I see that hand. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your power and your presence in this place, God. Thank you so much for the Word of God, which is so incredibly rich. Thank you for what you've shown us. Thank you, Lord, for instructing and guiding and directing this message. And I pray, Father, that you help us now as we go forward this week. Help us, Lord, to honor you. Lord, help us to pray according to your will. Lord, help us to start our day in prayer and close out our day in prayer. Help us to reverence you, Father, and I pray that you help us to pray for our brothers and sisters and, Lord, to pray for this lost world that is in desperate need of the King. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.